Chapter 20 of The Ticken Coat Treasure by William LeCue. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 20 Philip Riley Tells a Strange Story. During the three days that followed, I kept watch in Cornwall Road, haunting the neighboring thoroughfares of Ladbroke Grove, Silchester Road, Ledbury Road, and Powis Square watching the movements of miss bristow and ever on the alert for the coming of that tall fair mustached individual as the man purvis has been described the girl whom i had found so charming went out often once down to catford to visit friends apparently she lived in apartments and did her own shopping she however had no male companion and so close a watch did i keep upon the house that i arrived at the conclusion that purvis did not live there after all Stafforth had grown very uneasy about his nephew, and although we put our wits together, we could devise no plan by which the mystery of his disappearance might be solved. That the persons who were our rivals in the affair would not stick at trifles had already been proved. Hence our apprehensions were of the gravest. Not being aware of the identity of these people, we were heavily handicapped, for they were most probably cognizant of my every movement while i remained utterly in the dark as to theirs matters were certainly growing serious i had received a letter from mr kenaway telling me that he was compelled to remove his furniture from the manor house on the morrow therefore i would be obliged to go down to caldecott again and do watchdog duty it was most important that Riley should be with me, for I intended to commence a search throughout the house as soon as the Kennaways had left it. For that reason, I bought a pick, shovel, and a quantity of other tools I thought might be useful, and had them sent down, packed in a case in order not to excite suspicion. Sitting in my own room at Chelsea, I pondered over the future, trying to decide upon some judicious plan of action. It was long past midnight. My green-shaded oil lamp was burning low and had already begun to splutter, but I could see no way out of the cul-de-sac. My first thoughts were, of course, for the safety of Philip, and he being still missing, I did not feel myself justified in carrying the search further before the mystery of his disappearance was cleared up. I had found, on my return home, a letter from Seal, posted from Smyrna. It was a rather grimy note, bluff, brief, and written in that heavy hand that I knew so well in the log of the thrush. The chief paragraph of the letter ran, I hope you got something out of old mystery by this time, and also that you're full sail with a fair wind toward the treasure. Don't write to me as I leave tomorrow straight for fresh wharf and hope to see you within a fortnight. The clock on my mantel shelf struck two, and I was about to put out my light and turn in, when of a sudden there came a violent ringing of the bell. It startled me at that hour, and, pulling aside my curtains, I looked down into the street, only to discover, to my joy, that Philip Riley stood below, looking up anxiously at my window. "'Come down, Doc, and let me in!' he cried, and in response I soon unchained the front door and was wringing his hand. Walking before me, he ascended the stairs, and not until he had come into the light of my room did I notice the change wrought in him. "'Good heavens, my dear fellow, wherever have you been?' I cried, glaring at him in surprise, for his clothes seemed half torn from his back, his face dirty with a stubbly beard, as though he had not shaved for a week, while his trousers were caked with mud and his white face bore a nasty cut only half healed. 
it extended almost from the eye to the chin and with the blood still caked there gave him a hideous and forbidding experience ah he gasped throwing himself into an armchair you may well ask i've had a splendid time of it have you got a drop of brandy or anything by you i feel faint he looked it and i rushed to my cupboard and got out a bottle of martel and a siphon of soda i allowed him to take a long steady drink before questioning him in the meantime noting the terrible gash on his face i saw also that his left hand had been cut on the inside well i said we've all been most anxious about you fearing something bad had happened tell me all about it anxious he laughed not more anxious than i've been about myself i can tell you as for what happened well i must collect my thoughts in order to tell you how it all began and what was the ultimate result but before i begin i may as well give you my own opinion and that is i don't believe that we shall ever find that treasure why not because others know far more about it than we do was his reply when i resolved to take a share in the investigation i never dreamed that the game could be such a desperate one as it is by jove those fellows would murder both of us without the least compunction we must go armed in the future but what occurred to you i asked all anxiety to learn the reason for his long silence well he said finishing his brandy at one gulp it happened like this when i left you i came up to town and started to keep observation on that news agents in sterndale road the job was a terrible wearying one but i was rewarded on the third evening by seeing the man you described tall fair and freckled he called for a letter unobserved by him i followed him home to st peter's square hammersmith then i resolved to exercise a strict vigil over that house in order to find out all about its inmates during the following day i discovered that purvis was a bachelor of means and was very often in the habit of receiving visits from men of rather shady character by constant watchfulness i came to know by sight all these men five in number including one named bennett bennett i interrupted i wonder if he's black bennett don't know was my friend's rejoinder i can only tell you that they are as fine specimens of rascally adventurers as can be found at this moment in london purvis being a good billiard player often spends his evenings at the crown in hammersmith broadway playing sometimes with bennett and sometimes with one or the other of his companions having obtained this piece of knowledge from observation i took a bedroom at the crown in order that i might be able to saunter into the billiard room at odd hours as you know i can play a fair game and my object was to get in touch with purvis by playing with him i had not long to wait for one evening he was in there alone and having made some casual remarks he invited me to play from the first he seemed somewhat surprised to find that my form was slightly better than his and before long i saw from his play that he was used to the ruses of sharks and thieves he seemed to me to be rather well educated the kind of a man whose exterior was that of a gentleman but who lives by his wits he offered to bet me a sovereign on the game and in order to content him i agreed very quickly the game was entirely in my hands but so that he might become friendly i allowed him to win and paid him the sovereign bennett came in hurriedly just then and whispered something in an undertone whereupon purvis excused himself from playing further put on his coat and followed his friend out that mysterious message aroused my curiosity therefore as soon as the door was closed i threw on my coat and slipped out just in time to see the pair enter a hansom
they drove away and i drove after them at a respectable distance in order that they should not detect my vigilance we drove for more than half an hour through shepherd's bush and kensal green until we entered the edgware road near kilburn station and crossing it purvis and bennett alighted before a house in a dark side street when they had disappeared inside i dismissed my own cab and took a good look at the exterior of the place it was semi-detached house of rather neglected appearance approached by a small strip of garden lying behind the iron railings the place was in total darkness however not even a light over the front door they had entered so quickly that i believe they must have used a latch-key half a dozen times i passed and repassed the dark silent place wondering what was the object of their journey there until the blinds being up and the front rooms all being unlit it occurred to me that whatever was taking place was at the rear of the premises so resolving to try and ascertain for myself the reason of the hurried visit i entered the little garden and crept silently around to the back where in a room on the first floor was a light and even from where i stood i could hear men's voices i saw that the yellow holland blind having been pulled down violently had given way from the roller and a piece hung down this would afford me a view of the room if only i could climb high enough now beneath the window in question was a lean-to conservatory built out from what was i suppose the drawing-room but upon the roof of such a fragile structure i dared not venture i noticed some iron piping going straight up and aided by the wooden lattice on the wall it occurred to me that i might safely accomplish the feat as you know i am rather fond of climbing therefore i quickly took off my boots and commenced to work my way up towards the coin of vantage to reach a level high enough however was a task much more difficult than i had at first anticipated especially as the creeper-covered lattice-work being old and rotten gave way almost each time i grasped it at last however swinging myself over i succeeded in clutching what seemed like a safe piece of trellis close to the spot that afforded a view into the room just at that very moment when my eyes came to the window where hung the corner of the blind untacked from its roller a loud scream issued forth the agonized cry of a woman clinging with hands and feet to the insecure woodwork i craned my neck until i could get a view of the interior of the room the sight that greeted me was one that i was certainly unprepared for the apartment was a back parlor fairly well furnished within stood purvis bennett and two other men whom i recognized as constant visitors to st peter's square the door was open and one of the men stood holding by the arms a woman a young well-dressed woman she had evidently been dragged in there against her will for she had covered her pale face with her hand to shut out from her eyes the terrible object she had been brought in there to see, the corpse of a young man. What? I cried, starting up. Have they actually committed a murder? I suppose so, was Riley's reply. I merely tell you what I saw with my own eyes. The dead man was in evening dress and was lying on his back on the carpet, his limbs slightly drawn up. There was on his shirt front a large, ugly stain of blood, while his face was as white as paper. The unfeeling brutes actually compelled the poor girl to touch the dead man's face, and she drew her fingers away from its cold contact as though she had been stung. Then Bennett, addressing her with biting sarcasm, said, You didn't believe us, miss, but you'll believe now, I think, 
and recollect that if you do not exactly as we order you'll be served in the same way you know me well enough to be aware that i never repeat a threat i carry it out you are cruel inhuman she cried facing the four men with an angry passion suddenly lighting up her face he had done no harm and you killed him killed him because you were cowards enough girl cried bennett and raising his fist he struck her on the mouth cutting her lip while the other blackguard stood there not attempting to interfere purvis gave the body of the dead man a contemptuous kick and then bending down took the watch and chain from the poor fellow's pocket and handing it to the man who stood in the doorway said here's a souvenir of tonight's work like to have it the bearded ruffian grinned and slipped the dead man's property into his pocket you shall pay for this the girl cried defiantly staunching the blood with her handkerchief oh cried bennett you dare to say a word and the rats will make a meal off you pretty quick remember that there he exclaimed to the man who had pocketed the watch and who still held her arm take the wench away she'll know her manners before long she was dragged out and i heard her and her captor descending the stairs then from my perilous position i could overhear the other three discussing what should be done with the body whereupon it was decided to convey it in a travelling trunk to the cloak-room of one of the termini which of them was not stated i watched the trunk brought in one of those large ones of compressed cane and saw them first mutilate the face of the corpse beyond all recognition then they packed the body in locking the trunk and securing it with cord this done a careful examination was made of the room one or two blood-stains were removed by Privis with water and a sponge and then all three carried the trunk down the hall to await a four-wheeled cab Purvis and bennett returned again to the room where the light burned and i heard the latter say that's one the less and without much trouble either he might have proved a nuisance whereupon Purvis remarked the girl was i believe in love with him love be hanged bennett returned roughly that's the very reason why i had her brought here to show her that his death was due to her association with him she'll blame herself for the tragedy now and be our servant more than ever don't you see then a few minutes later the man who had gone to the nearest cab rank returned and all four went out after extinguishing the lamp i heard the cab drive away when it suddenly occurred to me that i ought to attempt to follow it and ascertain where they deposited the evidence of their crime in my haste i made a false move and felt the woodwork suddenly break from my hands i tried to steady myself but could not and overbalancing backwards fell with a crash through the conservatory roof alighting upon the concrete floor i know no more save that when i came to i was lying in a bed in a hospital with a policeman sitting by my side under arrest for attempted burglary they said in two days i was sufficiently well to be taken to the police court where having refused to give any account of myself i was sent to prison for fourteen days as a rogue and vagabond i saw it was useless to recount what i had witnessed in the house as the marks of the crime had already been carefully obliterated hence i did my fourteen days which expired this morning but the woman i exclaimed utterly dumbfounded by a startling story had you seen her before yes once while i was waiting outside the newsagents in sterndale road she had called there on two occasions was it miss bristow i asked describing her 
exactly as you say dark pretty with a rather pointed chin dressed in black he answered then a strange thought took possession of me i wondered if by her refusal to conduct me to her brother's bedside at blackheath on that memorable night i had escaped a similar fate to that dead unknown the veil of mystery was certainly growing more than ever impenetrable end of chapter twenty